Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to Garden Success. Uh, this is a call-in radio show and we're here to answer your questions. Uh, in fact, if you just want to brag about your garden, we'll listen to that too. Our number, if you'll write it down so you can give us a call, is 979-845-5689. 845-5689. You can also reach me by email at gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U, gardensuccess at tamu dot E-D-U. Uh, we had some emails I'll be going over here today. Uh, the uh, key to a good email is if you can attach a, a, a picture with it. That is always helpful, especially if you're wanting something identified or a disease diagnosed or, or something along those lines. Uh, and I did mention it as attached. It's so much easier for me to get to an attachment and zoom in, look around on the picture than it is if it's embedded into the text. So please, please attach, if you will. Well, let's see. There's a lot to talk about. It's cooling off finally, and it is, it is so nice to be outside now. I'm really looking forward to it. In fact, Saturday, I've got quite a bit of outdoor work to do. Um, we've been talking about uh, different things to do in the garden, and I'm going to spend some time today talking about a few of the other things that we can be doing outside. Um, but uh, I also I do want to get to your email, so we'll, we'll make sure and save some time uh, for that. But for right now, we're going we're gonna to go to the phones and again the number 845-5689 and talk to Phyllis. Hello, Phyllis. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I have nutgrass, and what am I going to do about it? Do you have a good realtor? Could you call him and c <laughs> consider moving? <laughs> I know. I, it's a booger, isn't it? Yeah, I, I have some too, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, the, nutsedge is a, uh, it's a perennial problem. And uh, in the spring, it pops up. I'm, I'm kind of backing up here for a longer answer, but I, I think it'll help you really with what you're asking. Uh, in the spring, it pops up out of the ground, and that nut that the shoot popped up out of begins to send out side shoots or side um, uh, rhizomes underground, and nuts will form on each of those. And by the time we get to May, those nuts are already viable. So if you want to think about it this way, they can have, you know, six to nine or more nuts on there. Uh, if you wait until summer to start doing something, you have about 10 times the job you did had you started doing something in the spring. 
And so I, I say that because anything you do now can be helpful, but it'll be back in the spring and just know that earlier is definitely better because that's when we have our best access. Or is this nutsedge growing in a, a flower bed or vegetable garden or lawn or where? It's growing um, mostly in just dirt, but it is in uh, jasmine. Oh, okay. Well, that's no fun to have it in and among another plant like that. Whenever you can get to the nutsedge uh, and, and it's in dirt that can be dug, digging up the nuts is the best way to go. I use a spading fork and, and kind of shake the soil, and you'll find the nut, but then you can start tracking down the daughters that are e extending off of it and do a lot better job, and you never get it all. It, it will pop back. Uh, but what I should have done this year and didn't get around to is uh, start it, you know, the first time I see it showing up, and then just every few weeks just go back and, and do it again until I, because they're going to show their face as soon as you uh, break loose the connection to the other nuts and, and they get some moisture. Uh, hand digging is, is the most effective way to really, really get it all. Uh, there are herbicides that will control it and they're labeled for different locations. You know, one may be labeled for an ornamental bed or, or may not be labeled or may la be labeled for the lawn but or not. And so you just have to, to look for those. There, there's a lot of different brand names and even different ingredients that are used for those. Uh, so since your nut sedge is in different places, <clears throat> I'll just say go, go and ask for an effective product against nut sedge and you'll find names uh, like Sedgehammer and Image and Manage, uh, and, and then there's, there are just a bunch of others. Some of them even kind of infer in their name that they control Nutsedge. But um, that would probably be the best bet. You want to spray once the plant is up and has some leaves that the spray can be on. And if uh, most of the products are going to have some sort of a spreader sticker in them, but if they don't, just a couple of drops of dish soap in, the, in a gallon of spray. You don't want to make it frothy, uh, but we'll break that surface tension and it'll, it'll stick better to the leaves of the nut sedge because they tend to be vertical and slick. And so it's hard to get that herbicide on them. Um, I don't see any leaves. They're just uh, shoots shoots i tell you i think you need to send me a picture i'm not they come out of the ground like a missile coming up out of a silo in the ground uh, but then they unfurl and you should have leaves going in different directions long strappy grass-like leaves Maybe oh uh, how tall do they get before they have leaves at pretty much at the soil level yeah. yeah, I think we're talking about oh. something else. Uh, so send me a picture, and let's let's see if we can figure out what it is. All yeah. right. Uh, um, I had a student pulling it up in the summer, and she would pull it up, and the next week it will be there again. And okay. uh, so, uh, and I, yeah. she left, and I kind of forgot about it. Well, but. yeah, and it. I, once we know what it is, I can tell you how to control it. But let's just say it was nutsedge. Uh, that that little nut underground has six or more buds on it, and so you can chop the shoot off, and and another one just comes up. It it can keep sending shoots up for a while before it gets too weak to do right. that. So, 
yeah, so just pulling it, you know, and not getting the nuts is, is not going to help much. All right. Well, I will send you a, a photo then. All right. Well, thank you very much, Phyllis. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go back to the phones now and talk to Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hi. This is not why I meant to call you. I was going to ask questions about seeds. Okay. But I have the same nutsedge issue. Um, I'll just toss out from my experience over the years. Mm-hmm. Sedge hammer is way more effective than image. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know with image you have to uh, reapply it every few weeks. Yes. But I, st- I still went with nutsedge, and I find it's much more effective. I have the classic nut sedge that you were describing with the glossy, long, strappy leaves, Mm -hmm. and I've had that for years. And probably in the last two, well, COVID (laughs) throws me off. In the last three years, I've got something different. I think it's a nut sedge by the way it's spreading. Like your other caller, it has leaves, but they're not real obvious. But this spike in the center has a ball or a nut, I don't know what to call it, uh, that has little spikes on it. And that is a worse varmint than the classic one with the long, glossy, strappy leaves. Okay. Well, I sure need to see a picture. Uh, that would be so helpful because I'm I'm um, trying to imagine as you're describing. I'm thinking of different plants. So, okay, uh, I have a feeling if I guess at what it is, I would be wrong. So, I but, will send the photo of the odd one. Okay. Um, but here's why I was calling, intended to call. I just bought way too many seed packets. <laughs> okay. I can't pass plants by. They Ka- call my name when they see me. Catherine, there's uh, no such thing as too many seeds or too many plants. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, uh, you probably know Anne de Leon. I do. Um, she's a great resource. She is. Uh, last time I saw her, I was. T- I love larkspurs, and I plant them every year. And... A woman who grows larkspurs gave me some seeds and said, uh, spread these in November. And so I asked Ann, and I said, this is really strange. I thought you planted seeds in the spring. And she said, they need to go through a cold period. Will you confirm that? Well, larkspur, we have several plants that are biennials. And you can plant larkspur in the spring and, and get some to come up. But it's much better to plant in the fall uh, because the, they'll sprout up. They're like our blue bonnets. Our, our blue bonnets sprout in the fall. They sit there all winter as a small plant, but they're not, they may not look like they're doing much, but they are. They're getting established. And then in the spring, they take off growing. And the, when you plant uh, sweet peas or larkspur or blue bonnets, a lot, a lot of those kinds of plants in the fall, you just have much better results. And I don't have to worry about them freezing through the winter because they've already sprouted. Right. I mean, think about nature. You know, blue bonnets are all over the place, and and we've had some doozy years, uh, and they okay. keep they keep coming. Uh, but okay. the the um, I guess if if you had some, let's say you had sweet peas or something that is freezable, if it gets cold enough, you would just want to cover them up a little bit for. That's my next question. Yeah. 
I love sweet peas. The house I grew up in in San Antonio, my mother was a flower gardener. Mm. She had gorgeous sweet peas every year, and they were, you know, obviously tall and vertical and mm-hmm. would even vine. And she planted them along an ugly cyclone fence. Mm. And they were gorgeous. I have tried for five years living here to grow sweet peas and have had no success. Well, when you say no success, tell me what ends up happening. Do they come up? Yes. I see the little, you know, the initial green sprouts, let's say, and I see a few leaves, mm-hmm. and I plant them in a sunny location. I've tried them in a pot, and I've tried them in the ground several years, and that's all they do. They, they never get more than five or six inches. They never make a bloom. Hmm. Well, they don't like poor drainage. So in the wintertime, it's cold. There's not much evaporation from the soil, and we get rain. And, and if the area is kind of clay and, and doesn't slope or drain well, then that might be a contributing factor. Um, they are a legume, so they do their best when they have uh, rhizobium-type bacteria that, that live in uh, relationship with the roots. They, they perform better with that, but you can also lightly, very lightly fertilize them. And then the other thing is there are, there's a lot of new breeding of flowers and vegetables, and there are a lot of different types of sweet peas now, and, and they don't all perform equally well for me. Uh, some, are mm-hmm. very, some are very short. And some are very tall. Some have that wonderful fragrance. I bet that that you remember. Yes, from that's childhood. what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And some don't. And so y- you can go to wherever you buy your seeds and and read the packet. It ought to tell you or go online and and search about that variety. There are companies that specialize in the old-fashioned types of things like that. And so you can you can try ordering a different kind of seed and see if that helps anymore. But a good, well-drained soil. Uh, and planting in the fall and not just having a winter like we did last year, you ought, yeah, to, yeah, you ought yeah. to have success with those. So I don't know what else to tell I'm you. I'm reading the packet right now, and this is something I never did. It says soak seeds 24 hours before sowing. Okay. Plant after all frost. For early blooms, start indoors four to six weeks before. Okay, that's... That plant before all frost i'm not even sure no after all frost oh after all frost okay so that's they're talking about spring sowing and so that would be northern you know you get to the midwest or places like that they're not going to go through the winter for sure and so they wait and plant them in the spring but for us we we're kind of on the northern edge of it but they're better planted in the fall Okay. I'm okay. looking at, there's a color code for the states, and we're in purple. It doesn't say right. 8B, but it's by the color, it says December through February. Well, I, I don't want to disparage a <laughs> seed packet or companies or anything. I'm just telling you what works here. Uh, so, uh, so plant I, them now? I would plant them now. You could be plant them a little before now, but now is fine. And... Uh, the soaking the seed just helps them to come up a little faster and a little more uniformly. But when you put them in the ground, they'll come up too. 
Uh, you can soak blue bonnet seeds and okra seeds and other things to start that germination process before they hit the ground. And uh, meaning it biochemically, it starts inside the seed. So when you plant them, they come up faster. But it's not a huge difference. Whether you soak them or don't soak them, you're going to have the, pretty much the same results, just not as fast, not as uniform. Well, thanks so much. All right. Catherine, thank you for the call, and good luck with those. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, yeah, there. you know, we have a number of, of really good biennial types of things like that that, that we can plant here. But I think, the, I think the larkspur and the sweet peas, and I'm trying to think if there's another big one, but those are the two that for the flower, oh, poppies, poppies. Uh, if you want to have good success in your flower garden, or if you want to grow blue bonnets in your flower garden, and you're going to plant from seed, then you want to sow those in the fall and they'll go through winter and you'll have a very, very good uh, result. Uh, we just, sometimes there's things that, you know, with a little more information, maybe we can drill down and figure out exactly what's causing it. But um, with just with some basic, you know, horticulture care, these things should, should do well for you. Well, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, I just have really been enjoying some of the fall bloomers. Uh, I don't know if you've ever grown Mexican mint marigold. Um, that, that is a... Um, uh, typically an herb garden plant because the leaves are used as a substitute for tarragon. Uh, the, the best way I like to describe it is if you've ever eaten a black jelly bean, that's exactly what it smells like, the leaves. It's not putting that all through the air, but uh, you rub the plant and smell your hand, it's exactly like a, a black jelly bean. So it's a licorice kind of uh, uh, smell. Uh, it's blooming now. It, it blooms in the fall. As our nights get longer, uh, that uh, signals the plant to go ahead and bloom. And we have some other good fall bloomers. Uh, around here, you don't see a lot of um, salvia regla, which is mountain sage, but it's a, it's a subshrub, a woody subshrub like some of the salvias are, and it blooms also when the day length gets longer in the fall. Uh, beautiful tubular type red blooms. Uh, Copper Canyon daisy is another one that blooms, blooms right now. Uh, and it is blooming now. Uh, and then the fall aster, that's the beautiful little lavender purplish uh, colored, uh, covered, the bushes are covered with these flowers, very beautiful. Uh, and they bloom now. And these plants are important for a lot of our pollinators uh, because they need something every month out of the year in order to do well. Uh, and so I would try some of those. They, they, uh, they, they just help round out the seasons. You know, I think our gardens and landscapes ought to be designed so that there's always something interesting going on and you can you can look out and, and see what's there um, and enjoy it all through the year because everything wants to bloom and grow in spring uh, and, and when you get into summer and even into fall sometimes you don't find as many many things that uh, to choose from well let's go to the phones and talk to Sandy hello Sandy hey how are you I'm well thank you Good. Um, I just moved to Texas a month ago. Okay. And and the lady who we bought the house from, she had a very nice garden in her backyard. 
and she has all organic soil up in her beds. And so I've been digging in them, and I find just hundreds of grubs, and I'm losing my mind. Okay. Um, what can I do? I mean, I'm picking them out one by one, but... Yeah, I just want to make sure you're talking about like a whitish C-shaped yes. plump yes. little creature. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Well, you, you can just sure. handpick them. And there's hundreds. I know, I know. You As you turn the soil, you'll turn them over and handpick them. They do feed on the roots of some plants, uh, especially grasses. Uh, they, they prefer, I think. But uh, in, in a situation like that, you, you only have two options. One is to... Um, use an insecticide and the other is to just as you turn the soil pick up everyone you find and you get their numbers down that way too um, the problem with insecticides is most products don't go deep enough in the soil to do any good so you would have yeah. to drench a good quantity of insecticide laced water to get them to go down at that depth here here in texas uh, by the way where what area of the country did you move from just outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia. Oh, okay. okay, good, good. It's a beautiful area. Um, so the, here in our area, the grubs come out, and people call the adults June bugs, but here it's more like a May bug. Um, and they lay eggs, and those eggs feed at the surface of the grass and the soil, and then they start to go downhill as it gets, or downhill, underground it more as it gets hotter. They, they move downward. So we have this little window in late June, early July, when we can put a product on and catch all the grubs right up at the top uh, when, they're, when they're not too deep to get the product to them. So from, you know, from uh, uh, into the real heat of summer, uh, just past the 1st of July, they're starting to move down kind of deep. So uh, I guess that's about all I know to tell you. There are, there, if you're wanting to do it organically, there are some... Uh, products that contain an entomopathic nematode. That basically that means a nematode that doesn't uh, feed on plants; it feeds on bugs. And you can drench them in the soil, and they can be fairly effective. But again, getting the the product down to where the grubs are is is pretty much impossible this time of year. Yeah, I'm I'm digging deep. Her I think her gardens are about two feet. Her she's you know raised beds, mm -hmm. and I I was pulling them up. And then I decided, oh, I'll go deeper. I thought I had them all. And then mm -hmm. there was just a whole new colony. Okay. Well, I don't worry about them a lot. I, when I'm in my garden, I'm always finding them. They're there. They're they're all through the yard. But it, it Back in Virginia, I would put them on my fence and the birds would get them. But we don't have that many birds over here. Well, maybe you need to buy a, a flock of guineas to run around your yard. <laughs> I'm sure the neighbors would love hearing them. Yeah, sound off sure noise every time, every time something. I used to have a, a little miniature fox terrier that ate them. And oh my uh, Daisy would, would garden with me because Daisy knew that regularly she was going to get a little plump snack. And, get a little protein. Uh, yeah, that was, the oh. only, uh, that was the only honorable attribute of Daisy, but at least <laughs> as a gardener, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, and I have, I have one more question. I had milkweed, and I had I, I we are my neighborhood back home. We were a big um, pollinator. People had mm -hmm. milkweed or yes. bees. Or, I, does common? I don't. I haven't done any research because I really did just move here. But does mm -hmm. um, common milkweed is that something I can plant here? Because I did bring seeds. I, I don't want to bring an invader. D describe an the plant. 
Yeah, describe the plant size and the flower color of, of what you're calling common milkweed. Uh, the plant size can be, at its height, at least about five feet tall. Oh, okay. And um, okay. what color are the, the, yeah. the, the, the flowers can be like a pink, I guess okay. pink. Okay, I think that would be what we would call swamp milkweed, as I'm hearing you describe it. But, oh, uh, but I'm not, now, our, I'm not certain of that. My leaves are really fat. My leaves are really fat. That wide leaves. Okay. Well, it, you can try. I don't, if it is swamp milkweed, you can grow it around here. Uh, if it's some other type, it may or may not do well. But uh, typically in gardens, people have uh, tropical milkweed or Mexican milkweed, which has orange and yellow flowers. Uh, and then there's a lot of interest in the um, uh, orange flowered, very short statured plant that, that grows wild around here. It's another type of milkweed. Uh, but you can certainly try that, and there are a lot of plants that are that are very helpful for butterflies and that are helpful for uh, bees and other pollinators. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks okay. for listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Let's go back to the phones now and talk to Sandy. Hello, Sandy. Okay. Oh, we're going to talk to John. Did we lose Sandy. Hello, John. How you doing? Good morning. I I have a Esperanza question. Okay. At the last the master gardener's Mary bought another Esperanza plant, uh, and her question is, it's in a big pot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we go ahead and put it in the ground, or uh, if it if we leave it in the pot, I know I have to put it in the greenhouse. Yeah, I would I would definitely put it in the ground. That's yeah. what she wants to do. That's just yeah. more work for me. More work for you? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. John, I, I'm i speechless. I, I, <laughs> I wish I could help you here, but I, <laughs> I can't. I can't help. Um, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll find a spot and put it in the ground. Yeah. Any, anything that's a perennial or a shrub uh, kind of plant, plant it in the fall. Uh, that's the best time, and it'll it'll just be better off next spring. The top may die back to the ground, depending on the winter we have, but, but you'll have a stronger plant underground to come back. How about red mulberry? Uh, like a fruiting tree you're talking about? Yes. You know, I don't know that much about mulberries, and... Um, there's there's a number of different types, a Pakistani mulberry, and you mentioned the red. There's a white mulberry. What I've found is they they will all grow and make a tree, but the birds end up getting all the mulberries. That's that's right. We all we all we have learned about them is don't plant them over your driveway. <laughs> yes, yeah, and the purple types, uh, you know, the the bird poop will get a, bring bring the same color to your your furniture and driveway and everything else. But yeah, I mean, they, they'll grow here. Um, they're just uh, uh, not something that we seem to be able to get to the fruit. Birds always have first shot. <laughs> well, we, we agree with that. But we grow, actually, most of the things we grow, some animal gets. So. <laughs> okay, well, all right. We're the invaders, you know. Those animals were living here before we showed up. Agreed. <laughs> okay, well, well, thank you very much. All right, take care. Good to talk to you. All right, our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu. 
dot edu uh, and uh, let's see we did get a um, a note from Phyllis about some of that uh, nuts edge type stuff and yes I see the picture that is nuts edge um, I, something that just occurred to me is normally I would do this much earlier than now but it is still green and it's probably not actively uh, growing a lot of top growth but if it's in some stage of growing before it just really gets dormant uh, because of the cold you can spray it and that material that you spray whichever product you choose will move down the plant into killing or, or severely weakening the nut that's down below uh, and then other daughter nuts will pop up later so you feel like the spray didn't do any good but it did uh, and you just have to stay with it uh, and be willing to repeat it occasionally had an email come in uh, from Tisha and picture of a mushroom that is kind of a reddish coral pink color and it's long uh, like a long uh, pointed uh, pepper might be or something and that she mentioned it smelled and that is the stinkhorn mushroom that in the picture uh, that's one of the few mushrooms that I know uh, there's some bazillion different kind of mushrooms out there but it's just a decomposer it's not attacking your plants or anything uh, and whenever we get some cool weather and maybe a rainfall a lot of times uh, as we move from summer into fall we we see different kinds of mushrooms showing up uh, the little fruiting bodies which is what we're calling a mushroom uh, while most of the plant is living in a network underground uh, so well, yeah I, nothing to worry about just chop it off or, or ignore it uh, it'll it'll be just fine let's go back to the phones and talk to Catherine hey Catherine I'm the same Catherine with all the seeds. Okay. Sorry for calling twice. But I've been reading these packets carefully, and I hadn't noticed. They, each one says packed for 2022. Okay. Sell by December 22. Well, you're getting really fresh seeds. That they're shipped, That's okay? Yeah, they're, those hit the stores before January. Uh, but, yes. It's it's okay. when it says packed for 1997 that you might be a little concerned. <laughs> okay. All, All right. right. Thanks. All Bye. Right. Have fun. Uh, let's see. You go back to the emails. Uh, Scott uh, has a loquat, and it's been in a pot for a long time, and it's kind of leaning. I think he said indicated toward light. Uh, and so the question is, you know, what do you what do you do? Can you prune it and make you know the have it re-sprout more upright? I tell you what I would do, uh, Scott. Number one, a, a pot, even a large pot, is a very limited uh, spot for a loquat to have a root system. So I would consider planting it in the landscape. But if you want to keep it in a pot, I would pull it out of the pot and, uh, I, you know, chop off part of the root ball so that you can straighten the plant up and reset it in the pot so that now it's straight and then you put fresh potting soil all around it so do you, if you can kind of imagine that rather than trying to prune and make that plant come straight again i would just unpot it and or take the pot off and then trim it so that it'll go straight back down in the pot with a with the branch pointing a trunk pointing straight up uh, you could do some pruning i wouldn't prune now though if you do pruning i would i would wait until it warms up uh, and toward let's say when i say warms up i mean you know late february it's we're starting to get some warmer weather uh in early march to do the pruning but i think that'd probably be the best way best way to go about it 
Uh, we had another question come by email, and Karen sent me some pictures of a weed that's growing in her pond. Uh, it's kind of long, strappy leaves and kind of a white spike-like flower. And I am not an aquatic weed specialist, but we have the most wonderful aquatic weed resource at Texas A&M that I've ever seen. And the, the address is real easy to find. It's, aquatic, it's called Aquaplant, A-Q-U-A-P-L-A-N-T, Aquaplant, and like all our websites, .tamu.edu, Aquaplant. Tamu.edu, and when you go there, you you can identify weeds, and you know it's is it a weed that's submerged in your pond? Is it a weed that is sticking up out of the water? So it's it's emerging out of the water. We call those emergent weeds, uh, or you know, is it a a um, like a floating plant, like duckweed that floats on the top and has roots hanging down in the water? Water hyacinth would be another of those. Lots of information, lots of pictures. Uh, you can find uh, the different herbicides that might be used if you want to get rid of something. Uh, or there's management options, too. Not everything spraying or not, is not our only option on dealing with problem plants. Uh, and so if you have, maybe you want uh, some aquatic plants. There's, there's nurseries that specialize in aquatic plants. And they even have a link uh, to some of those uh, you know, kinds of nurseries that you might uh, find certain kinds of aquatic plants you're looking for. So, Karen, that, oh, by the way, the weed is Smartweed. That's the name of the one you sent in, Smartweed. Uh, another question comes in by email from Sharon. Uh, and I I think I answered this last week, and I, I just i am not sure, so I'm just going to answer it again. But Sharon had a wildflower area that she sprayed a herbicide on to kill all the weeds. So she'd have nice bare soil for her wildflowers to not have so much competition. But in the meantime, the weeds resprouted, you know, which I always say wherever the soil's bare, nature plants a weed. And so you can pull every weed in your whole yard, the whole landscape, and just wait a while and it'll pop back up again when we get a little bit of rain and all the seeds that were dormant now, now come up. And so at this stage of the game, I wouldn't want to delay wildflower planting anymore. So if we said, well, go back out and spray them again, then wait a while, then plant, I, I think we need to, need to not do that. I would either plant in and among them if they're not too many and they're not too large, they're just little sprouting weeds, or I would use something to cultivate that area. It could be a rototiller that just lightly goes over the surface. It could be the same thing with a, a hoe. Uh, this is a fairly large area. It's not acreage, so it may be kind of hard finding something. But that way you can chop those weeds up. Then you lay your wildflower seed out. And again, weeds are going to come up among them. But at least the wildflowers have an equal start that way. Uh, so those, those are some of the options, uh, Sharon, for uh, dealing with that. I was mentioning fall blooming plants, and, and we talked about a number of these, Copper Canyon Daisy, uh, Mountain Sage, uh, Mexican Mint Marigold is, a, is another good fall blooming plant, and, and then the Autumn Aster or Fall Aster. Another one that just does so well around here is Greg's Mist Flower. Greg's Mist Flower is a native to Texas, and it is one that um, has kind of a bluish lavender bloom on it and it has a lot of them. Uh, this plant kind of sprawls around so it's not the neatest flower bed plant in the world 
but uh, you know if you've got an area where it can do a little sprawling and you do some minimal containing uh, it, it's a really nice plant and the the um, queen butterflies and the monarch butterflies love that plant if you if you go out to the dig which is the master gardener demonstration idea garden which is up on highway 21 in Bryan uh, the Greg's mist flower is blooming and the butterflies are lined up down the block to get in there and have a shot at it uh, it's just a really, really nice plant. And I was reading something the other day, and I, I think I talked about this either last week or one week, and uh, talking in different places to different people. I, I don't always remember where I was when I said something. But there's an article in the Native Plant Society of Texas um, uh, from a number of years ago, uh, but it was about the Greg's mist flower and the queen butterfly. Uh, and it kind of went into some of the the science that's gone behind uh, insect behavior and uh, the discovery of uh, the chemistry that insects and plants uh, are in, engaged in. But this particular plant, Greg's Mist Flower, uh, it, it's it's a uh, a very popular plant with that queen butterfly. But the the mist flower produces a natural compound. It's called intermedine. Uh, but it's it's an alkaloid that that's that's poisonous and and not very tasty, and so we we have other plants that produce those kinds of alkaloids, but it isn't poisonous to queen butterflies. But when you when you look at uh, Greg's mist flower, most of the butterflies that are on there are males that are happily, uh, as the article said, happily imbibing intermedine with the nectar. So they're they're lapping up this. Uh, let's think of it as poisonous nectar, uh, but it doesn't bother them. But in uh, that's another reason why, like the monarchs are feeding on the milkweed, is because there are compounds in milkweed that are toxic and distasteful, and the, that helps. Nobody wants to eat a monarch. If you well, maybe not twice. <laughs> the first time you get a very bad taste, you know not to eat that that insect, uh, and it and it protects them that way. But the interesting thing about the, the queen butterflies and the, the uh, Greg's mist flower is when the males uh, drink this nectar, they convert part of that poisonous material uh, into another compound, which is a sex attractant pheromone that draws in the females. And then during the mating, the male passes the remaining uh, part of that poison into the female where it again is a toxin and this time when the female lays eggs those eggs have it in them and it protects the eggs as well so i think that's pretty cool science uh, so here we have a butterfly garden and we have uh, chemical warfare going on among the insects right there in our peaceful docile little butterfly garden pretty cool stuff the more you learn about nature the more fascinating it becomes and this whole this whole area of um, pheromones and and other kinds of um, volatiles that plants and insects give off that help communicate with other other plants and insects that is a, I'll call it an emerging science it's uh, I, it's really new to me and although people have known about this stuff for a while we are still learning a lot and it is just an ongoing fascinating thing to see what how all this stuff works uh, so you'll never look at your garden the same once you begin to realize these things that are going on out there in the garden. Well, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at 
uh, let's see, uh, Garden Success at tamu.edu. Garden Success at tamu.edu. I uh, want to remind you, as we always try to do, that we've got our farmers markets around the Bryan College Station area uh, on um, um, Fridays from noon to 5 and on Tuesdays from noon to 5. Uh, the South Brazos County Farmers Market is right across from uh, the uh, Scott and White Clinic, which is where University comes uh, with Bypass 6, where they connect. There's a little clinic there in the southwest corner of that intersection. And on the street that goes alongside the clinic, not the feeder road, but the street, there on the other side is where the farmer's market is. And so that would be on uh, Tuesdays from noon to 5 and Fridays from noon to 5. So that'll be tomorrow. They'll be back there. Uh, and then the Brazos Valley Mar Farmer's Market is downtown in Bryan on Saturdays from 8 to noon. So on Saturday morning uh, from 8 to noon at uh, Main Street and 21st Street, uh, there is a farmer's market there as well. And the fun thing about farmer's markets is you, you get fresh vegetables that were grown uh, at least somewhat locally, depending on uh, how far the farmer came in for that market. Uh, and it's just, you get to look your farmer in the eye, and that's kind of cool. And, knowing, and talking to the people that are growing some of the food you're eating, uh, they, there are a lot of other products like jams and jellies, for example. Uh, I've even talked about before, one, one place has, has a little baked dog biscuits that they sell. It's a, a local uh, mom-and-pop shop uh, doing that. Uh, so uh, it's it's just a really a nice place. Uh, sometimes you even have a little live music at some of these, especially the one down in Bryan, uh, where you can kind of just enjoy uh, that uh, ambiance of, of having all that come together as one. So check out your farmer's markets and, and get some good fresh produce. And in the meantime, support the folks that are growing for us here uh, in our area. Our phone number is 845 five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine and we're going to go to the phones now and talk to claudia hi claudia oh hi skip uh, thanks for speaking with me yes ma'am um and sharing your passion i okay. must remark how passionate you are about gardening well really. I, I, I better be it's my <laughs> it's my job right <laughs> well wouldn't it be nice if everyone was as passionate about their work as you are well don't uh, get don't get me started on horticulture you know or i'll have to point things out that the original <laughs> job of mankind was to take care of a garden you know it wasn't the right. wasn't the cubicle of eden was it <laughs> yeah right all right i'll quit what? okay <laughs> Uh, well, getting back to uh, what I'm inquiring about, um, we have this big pittosporum bush. In fact, it's, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, multi-branch, you know, pittosporum. It's it's like tw almost 20 years old, okay? So okay. It, lives, it, it suffered some freeze damage. And believe it or not, you know, some of it is coming back and other is just woody stalks. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm wondering, and then we have a red-tipped titania bush, which didn't suffer damage but mm -hmm. needs to be trimmed. And I'm wondering, uh, when's the best time for me to uh, do that trimming? Yeah, late, late winter, late winter. Oh. Um, if, if you were to trim it now, because you're going to probably do some fairly significant pruning, at least on that red tip, uh, pruning is a stimulating process. And so, if, mm -hmm. and it's not unusual for us to almost be in the 80s in the winter for 
periods of days, uh, right. at least in the 70s, and you don't want it to start to regrow and then have a freeze, freeze that tender new growth. So, right. Because uh, that hasn't hardened off and prepared for winter. The, the new shoots haven't. So I would right. wait until the end of winter. Uh, and so it, there's not a magical date, but uh, mm -hmm. those are both evergreens. And so they're capturing sunlight 12 months out of the year. And uh, I would probably wait until maybe the end of February, something like that, to do the pruning beginning, on those. Like beginning of March. Even the beginning on... of March would be okay, yeah. You might yeah. get away with it if you prune earlier, but I'd just be a little careful. And depending on how far you want to cut back, um, it it can leave you with a very ugly shrub for a while, but a better shrub in the long run. Or you right. can just do a little pruning and, and still have a decent shrub. Uh, the, our woody ornamentals that are evergreens, um, they their foliage is out on the exterior, and the interior is shaded by that exterior foliage. So inside, it's all twigs and branches and almost no leaves. So right. when you cut back, you may be left with something that is all twiggy, or if you cut far enough, it may look like a hat rack. And so <laughs> you you do that, but then they'll re-sprout. They'll, they'll set out buds, latent buds that are down there in the, the trunk and the main branches and things, and they'll re-sprout for you. So if you, if you need to take it down a lot, you can do that. Just cut it lower than you ultimately want it to be, and then as it regrows, shear it again, and then as it regrows, shear it again, and you take that what was a stump that now has three shoots coming out and you turn each of those three shoots into six shoots or five shoots and, and you see what I'm saying. So yeah, you, you want to go a little the, low because it's going to get taller in that process. Well, it's already, you know, pretty tall and um, well, it needs to be pruned back. But, you know, some people have a real eye for pruning mm -hmm. and know what they're doing and then others you know, don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so, uh, that's on display driving up and down the main streets of town. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, yeah, yeah, because I called you last spring about those uh, those palm trees, and I had those taken down. And I'm so glad I did because, Good. frankly, I've seen so many palms around here that have no greenery on the. Yeah. top and they're just this huge stock so i'm glad i got rid of those yeah it's good because you know you don't know how long they're gonna stand there uh someone asked me that how long will a palm trunk that's dead stay there and i don't know the answer <laughs> you know palms are palms are a grass they're not a, a woody ornamental they're not a broadleaf plant and um so they have a very different root system and yeah. i just I've never been in a situation where we had tall, dead palm trunks and we waited to, for months or years to see how long that that is a safe thing. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable very yeah. long. Well, who wants to have just a like a brown stalk sticking up with no greenery? It looks real. And we're not in a tropical climate, even though I guess originally when they planted them here, they thought we were... Yeah. Semi-tropical. <laughs> well, the the main problem with palms here, and it, you know, this is going beyond our, our conversation, but um, is is planting the wrong palms. Um, we learned this winter, if it could go to seven degrees and we have palms still alive, that's a good palm. And so we normally we wouldn't bat an eye at that palm's chances of surviving. Uh, and so I would. Um, uh, make sure and call you, call us at the extension office. Let us recommend yeah. palm trees if you want to plant one, and because no, we I'm, want you to have a successful one. Yeah, I'm finished with palms now. I'm only growing something that has is tried and true here, 
replanting mm-hmm. something because you know everything is very expensive to replace. Okay. And and I'm not going to go down that road again. <laughs> okay. But oh, uh, well, I appreciate your advice on the pruning. I will wait. Okay. All right. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. You, you too. Bye bye. Okay. Well, our our number. We got time for another call or two. Our number is eight four five five six eight nine eight four five. 5689, and we're going to go to the phones now and talk to uh, Schussel. Am I, tell me, I'm mispronouncing your name. No, you are almost correct, Schussler. Oh, Schussler, okay. That's All right, right. Yeah. well, V. Gates. It's yeah. good, the Heute, we have All right, you've left me in the dust. Yeah, yeah, today I enjoy the nice food, so everything is good. Um, the reason I'm calling, I have a few orange trees, and um, for the first time after the cold, they all died and they came back slowly. But all of the leaves, they have this wax kind of, um, I do not know, it's fungus, and it has taken the whole, um, all the um, plants, and there are like three, four of them. And I went, looked on YouTube, I made a solution of a little bit of soap and vegetable oil, cooking oil, and I applied it twice, but it hasn't seemed to be helping. Okay. I, as I said, I just applied it twice. Okay. Tell, tell me again the name of the plant that you said. I missed that. It's just the orange trees. Orange. orange okay. Trees. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to picture what you're describing that is on an orange tree. Uh, so it's it a, has a name. Actually, I found it, and I. It looks like it's very common in in the orchard. Uh, this kind of disease, um, the uh, very pervasive, get on the leaves. Uh-huh. It doesn't kill them, but the leaves just look shrunk. Uh, oh, I, I know. I know it. I got it now. I got it. So that's that's something called the citrus leaf miner. Uh, yes. And, yes. And it's a yes. fly. It's a type of fly, not a ha- like a house fly, but it's a fly, and it lays its egg in the leaf of young, tender leaves, and then the larva crawls through the leaf between the upper and lower surface, like a coal miner, which is why it's called a leaf miner. Uh, it's it's digging through the leaf, eating the contents, and they mm-hmm. they only attack tender new growth. So yes. whenever you have a flush of growth, like new shoots, citrus flushes out several times a year, uh, you spray that with a product containing spinosad. And I'll spell that out. It's S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. Spinosad is organic, uh, but it soaks into the leaf tissue so that minor inside is affected by it. It's not just sitting up on the surface. And a spinosad is, is very effective against the leaf miner. Mm-hmm. But don't spray the whole bush, you know, all the old leathery dark green leaves. They're not going to be attacked. It's the new flush of growth. And by the time you see them, the leaves have gotten larger, but that, that larva has hatched and it's beginning to do its work. Mm-hmm. I can buy that loads or just regular. Uh, anybody that sells uh, pesticide products probably sells spinosad. A spinosad, mm-hmm. yeah. Is it environment friendly? This product? Well, it, yeah. Well, yes. It's an organic product. It's it's certified uh-huh, organic okay. product, uh, or at least Very it can good. be certified organic. Uh, so, 
you know, any pesticide is a pesticide. There's, I, I like to say there's no such thing as a safe pesticide because everyone misused can have uh, uh, unintended negative consequences. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but this one is, it's a toxicity is very, very low uh, for pesticides and it, and it happens to be of a natural nature. Okay. Uh, the other um, options um, I thought of, maybe I just leave it alone until the spring and then cut all of these things, or you suggest that I go ahead and buy this product and apply it now? I wouldn't apply it now. I doubt that they're very busy uh, out there right now, the pest. I would wait until spring. If you wanted, you just have one plant, so if you want to go snip off all the affected leaves, you could do that. And then next year, when it starts to flush growth, be ready. Uh, and and just just through the season, make sure and protect those leaves. A few leaf miners is not a huge thing, but when you're when you have a young tree that you're trying to get to grow fast, and it is just covered with leaves like this, that is worth treating for. Yes, absolutely. It's all over all of them. So I repeat that I understood your instruction. I uh, wait until spring and cut the all this infected branches and then apply this uh, yes. fed on the new growth. That's, that's correct, except the part about cutting the, the little affected shoots off, that is not necessary. It's just I had heard you kind of indicate that might make it look better, and if you want to do that, that's fine. But the spraying is the most important thing. Okay, I wait until the spring. Mm-hmm. And then I, it's just, you know, when you look at it, you feel so bad. Yeah, uh, okay. But, uh, I better be patient. And All right. Free. Well, Shusla, yeah, I'm going to so get much. to another call. Thank you so much for calling. Sure. Thank you so much. Mm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Who do we have up next uh, for? Randy. Hello, Randy. Hello. How are you? I'm well. What's up? I wonder, I, I, I was listening to the lady talk, but I had, uh, and I wasn't sure because I got in late on that conversation, but I have a great myrtle that kind of has that that dusty look on that, you know, like kind of like a black looking dust, you know, yes. one of those uh, particular yes. And I remember one time you said, uh, um, I don't know if it was you or I think it was you, they were talking about you can spray like a soap on mm-hmm. that and then just wash it off. Right. Um, it's, it's a surface mold that's growing on a sugary substance that's been dropped on the leaves. So if you got out there and mixed some sugar water up and sprayed it on your crepe myrtles, you would see that kind of black sooty mold follow it. And so you just want just to wash it off. And so that sugary substance can be pretty thick and, you know, it's just not easily washed off. So a little bit of soap in it helps make it work a little bit better, but it's not necessary. Okay. It's not required. So just, uh, if, but if you did use soap, like a, you're talking about like a, like a joy or some kind of a little bit just of soap. To, yeah, you're not using it as an insecticidal soap. You're just, you're just using it, it to, to help that water be a little more effective at cleaning that off. And don't mix okay. it too strong or you'll burn your plants. Okay, should but, I even, uh, since it's going into this season now, should I worry about it or should I just... Uh, no, I would not. I, I was just about to say that. Those leaves are all coming off, so mm-hmm. wait wait until next year uh, to, to deal with that. Okay? okay. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. All right, let's go back to the phones and one more time. Oh, we'll get, all right, good. Well, that's good. I had an email come in uh, from John, and uh, John has had some land cleared next to him uh, right away, got cleared, and now he's kind of like exposed, where it's easy to just see right into their yard or house or whatever. And he's wanting something that'll grow fast and be a view-blocking hedge. 
and uh, what are some options for that? Well, I would, John, I think I would recommend two things, uh, and you could do one or both of them if you want. For a fast hedge, the best way to get that is to buy one of these livestock panels and put it on some stakes. So think of it as like a billboard between you and what you don't want to see. Uh, and then plant a fast growing vine to cover. And that'll, you can have a cover that's quite high, depending on how high and how many panels you use and everything. You could also just use a wire mesh, like, uh, like the kind of fe hog fence or something like that. Uh, and stretch it across there, but the panels are very rigid and, and uh, they last. Uh, and so that would be your fast. And then uh, on the other side of that, I would, I would plant my row of shrubs because it's going to take a while for shrubs to cover and get what you want, something probably about eight feet high, eight to nine feet high. That's going to take time. And so this fast thing up front gives you some quick cover, quicker cover, and then the, the shrubs uh, would do the other. And as far as shrubs, uh, if the soil is well-drained, there's um, uh, Carolina cherry laurel is an evergreen shrub that can be sheared and made into a nice shrub. Uh, the um, different, the, uh, just the old cedar that, you know, eastern red cedar that we have eventually makes a huge tree. But in the meantime, uh, it, you know, it, for, it takes a while and it, it makes a pretty good shrub to block a view. Uh, southern wax myrtle is another evergreen. By the way, you want to choose something that's evergreen. Uh, and southern wax myrtle would be a good one for that. And even yopon uh, can be sheared in to make a nice uh, shrub as well. And I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving a few things out. Uh, we talked about red tip fatinias a minute ago, and, and they, of course, are a, a pretty good uh, shrub uh, to, to uh, hide a view. We kind of got away from them due to some disease problems that they have, so I, I would probably not use that one. But those are all some options, and hopefully with that uh, fast and then long-term thing going, you can get uh, some good results. Because I know that's probably disappointing to once be looking into a forest, and now you're looking out at a, an area that's been stripped of its vegetation. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. We're here every Thursday from 12 to noon answering your garden questions. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.